Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, and we are here at the Radius International Missiology Conference in Sun Valley, California at Grace Community Church, and we are so grateful to Radius for having us be a part of this conference again, as well as for their hospitality to ABWE. But here we are at the end of the second day. And so if you've been following along in your podcast feed, this is the last of the exclusive interviews that we'll be bringing you from Radius. It's been an excellent experience. And in some ways, if I dare say, we've saved the best for last, if you'll allow me to say that. But we have our friend Ian Hamilton joining us on the show again. Now you joined us last year as well when we were at the conference at Kevin DeYoung's church in Matthews, North, North Carolina. And thank you for joining us again here. Well, it's my pleasure, Alex. I've loved being at the conference. It's a privilege to be here. And I'm glad to renew acquaintance with you. Absolutely. And, and you know, you said something before we started rolling that uh, struck me, and I think it's accurate, that conferences like this, they're, they're good, they're energizing, they're enjoyable in some ways, but they're, in, they're unsettling. Uh, they, they really are. Yeah, when, when you listen to, to men and women who have labored for years in the most inhospitable of places, engaging with unreached language groups and who have experienced and sacrificed so much for the cause of the gospel, you're always asking yourself, what on earth have I done with my life? Mm. Now, the Lord puts us all in different places. He providentially puts one here and another there. For me, the lines have fallen in relatively pleasant places. <laughs> but I've been thankful to the Lord for placing me at times like this under ministry that unsettles me and causes me to ask those questions. Ian, what have you done and what will you do with the rest of your life? Absolutely. We, we've all got to be asking questions. I, I think something else that can also be edifyingly unsettling is when we study church history as well. Uh, not only when we're surrounded by contemporary missionaries, we see the sacrifices of faith that they've made, but we read about those who came before us, especially in this great reformed stream of the Christian church that, that we've seen. And we realize just what so many of these men who came before us and women suffered for the cause of Christ. It, it really dwarfs us, right? You read it and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, well, I, I teach the whole range of church history at the seminary where, where I teach in Newcastle, England, Westminster Presbyterian Seminary. And it never fails to uh, strike me how costly, how deeply costly faithful Christian service has been throughout the ages. It's, it's what our Lord Jesus Christ told us, in this world you will have tribulation unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Mm. And throughout church history, the Lord reminds us again, 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 and again, that there are no gains without pains, that the blood of the martyrs truly is the seed of the church. Mm. And that's why it's so vital that Christians, not just seminary students, but Christians, yes. read church history and remember that we're part of something grander, greater, more profound than the little congregation that we're part of today. So I'm always encouraging my students, read church history, read church history, read it well. Um, and it has this capacity, yes, to challenge us, 
but also to encourage us to see what God is able to do with the weak things of mm. the world. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and on this show and other shows like it, I mean, we, we've explored missionaries that many of us have heard of, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, uh, but then there's others. And one of the things that I appreciate most about your ministry and, and also about things like the Banner of Truth that you've been involved with for so many years too, is that we're, we're also kind of unearthing mm. treasures from church history that are, that are gems that not many people have laid eyes on, right? And one of those maybe lesser known missionaries, a missionary to China, is uh, William uh, Burns, Chal uh, Chalmers Burns? William Chalmers Burns. Chalmers Burns, okay, tell us, <laughs> obviously I know a lot about him, right? So fill us in a little bit on his life, some of the unique uh, insights that you gained from studying him. Well, he was born in 1815, died in 1868. He was a Scottish Presbyterian raised uh, in a manse. His father was a gospel minister, a faithful gospel minister. Uh, William was a, a dutiful son, but not a converted son. Mm. But around the year, oh, 1830, 31, uh, through a number of providences, a book sent to him by his father, a letter sent to him by his sister, the Lord pierced his heart. He, he, he came to faith. And almost immediately he, he felt God calling him to overseas ministry. He didn't know where. He thought at first it might be India. It ended up in China. But really for the next 15 years or so, God prepared him. It, it took that length of time, probably to his surprise, before the Lord said, now you're ready to go. He, he trained for the Christian ministry. Um, he was licensed as a gospel preacher. Um, he became a remarkably profoundly used itinerant preacher. Almost everywhere he went, Scotland, England, Canada, Ireland, mm. God's blessing followed in remarkable ways so that people, when he said, God's calling me overseas, were saying, no, no, don't go overseas. Mm -hmm. Do you not see how wonderfully God's blessing you hear? Mm. But his heart was fixed. And in 1847, the English Presbyterian Church were looking for someone to go to China. They heard about Burns. They interviewed him and they said, we'd love to send you to China. When can you go? And he said, tomorrow. And he just looked at him. He said, I'm ready to go. And Almost, not quite, but almost the next day, he travels to China and he arrives early 1848. He dies 1868 and he's home for one month in those 21 wow. years. Um, he goes and his great passion was not to remain on the Eastern seaboard where missionary activity had been located. Missionaries were banned, actually, from going into the interior of China. But Burns wanted to go to the unreached peoples. Mm -hmm. And he basically just ignored the ban. And he traveled widely. Uh, he was a brilliant linguist. He was brilliant in Hebrew, uh, Greek, Latin, French, Scots Gallic, Chinese. He became fluent in Mandarin, Cantonese. He learned various dialects through Hudson Taylor's influence. And he wonderfully influenced Hudson Taylor, but Hudson Taylor's influence, he, he began to wear Chinese dress, the mm -hmm. Chinese pigtail. 
He yeah, won- they did ministry together for they a did season. For, for about 18 months, yeah. um, Hudson Taylor had never met someone like Burns. He said he's the holiest of men. Mm. Um, his, his life radiates the grace of God. Uh, and while Burns influenced Taylor, Taylor also influenced Burns when he realized that to access the Chinese mind and heart, you needed to shed your Western culture. The gospel trumps culture. Yeah. So he began to wear Chinese dress and um, everywhere he went, there were reactions. Pe- people were never indifferent to Burns. They, mm-hmm. they either uh, clamored to hear him or, or, or they would throw mud and rocks at him. Mm. Um, he saw himself as an evangelist rather than as a settled pastor. He believed in establishing gospel churches. He would see people converted. He would disciple uh, men that he believed God had raised up and he would leave those discipled men to begin to pastor little churches. Maybe not ideal, but that's what he believed God was calling mm-hmm. him to. And uh, he, he just traveled wherever he could, risking his life. Um, he, he was robbed more than once. Uh, he lived the simplest of lives. There was one occasion when uh, robbers were passing by his, his, his little room and someone said, Oh, a foreigner lives there. And someone said, yeah, but he's so poor, he'll have nothing worth stealing. Um, And so he just expended himself. He returned to Scotland once. He was asked to go back with a a friend who was dying. The friend died within a month and Burns returned to China, Mm. never to go back to Scotland. Mm. Uh, He dies in 1868. Three things really mark Burns's life. Um, preparation, he, he understood that in the years of waiting, God was preparing him for a life's work. You know, God is more concerned with preparing who we are, um, with what we do. Right. Uh, preparation, prayer, he, he, he was noted for being a man who gave himself to prayer. Prayer was prayer was his life, actually. It, it wasn't just that he prayed, it was an extension of who he was. And perseverance, he resolved to finish the race. Notwithstanding, God had called him to China and by the grace of God, he would live and die in China. Mm. He just persevered, he put one foot in front of another he, he, he was an undramatic man, uh, but his steadfastness, his resolve, his devotion to the people of China uh, was something that indelibly marked Hudson Taylor and others who knew him. He isn't that well known, but I remember vividly the first time I came across his name, the little banner of truth book, Five Pioneer Missionaries. And there was a chapter on Burns. And in that chapter, there was a story related about a traveler who'd come back to Scotland, who'd been in China. And he was giving a lecture to 2000 people on his travels. That was one of the great events of the 19th century, travelers who would come and talk about the fabulous Orient. And at the end of his lecture, someone asked a question. 
In your travels in China, did you ever meet a Scottish Presbyterian minister called William Chalmers Burns? And the traveler replied, all China knows him. He's the holiest man alive. <laughs> and when I read that as a young Christian, I was, I was a very young Christian. I remember it was an electric current. Yeah. And every time I think of it, I, I find it, to be honest, I, I find it hard not to be deeply emotional mm. when, when I think of that incident. And that made me think, I need to get to know more about this man, mm -hmm. William Chalmers Burns. Well, help me with this. Stories like that aren't common, right? Somebody who's met with so much success in terms of fruit in their gospel preaching in their home country and traveling about in that itinerant ministry and then overseas as well and to have that sort of a reputation could see how easily that could just become an image of sort of a superhero right for people that that's not somebody realistic with whom i can relate and put myself in his shoes and learn that he's like me and so maybe what are what are some connecting points that you would see between you know us ordinary folks, right, and someone like that. Of course, I'm being facetious, right? I mean, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But for somebody like that, who, who is such a spiritual giant, you know, what, what would that say to me who, here I am so ordinary, right, struggling so much sure. with my own sin sure. and my own personal devotion and those sorts of things? William, Cham William Chalmers Burns would be astonished if anyone thought to him extraordinary. He was absolutely persuaded he was simply being what every Christian should be. <laughs> as um, many godly men. Yeah, missionaries and extraordinary men as we think them to be, and in, in the providence of God they were, mm. but they always saw themselves as simply living out the great commission God had given them to them. And every Christian in their own sphere, you in your sphere, me in mine, we're to be as devoted, as persevering, as prayerful as William Chalmers Burns and Hudson Taylor were. Um, we're to admire, we're to emulate. Um, the danger is we become overwhelmed by their example and we think, well, I, I, I just can't begin to begin to live up to that. And that may well be true. But notwithstanding that, we have the same calling. We are called to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, whether as uh, someone involved in the media or someone like myself who's been a pastor and now a theological educator. And our, our calling is the same. The Scottish church was really shaped by the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And Burns was a passionate Scottish Presbyterian who knew the catechism off by heart. Mm. And the first question and answer, which everyone knows mm -hmm. almost, <laughs> what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the same uh, perspective that is to shape and style your life and mine and the life of every believer. But the Lord sometimes gives us punctuated moments in history where he raises up men and women and says, now they are living the life that I want you to live in the sphere where I've put you. Mm. And so that's the challenge, mm. to be 
before God the best we can be where he has placed us. Um, every time I think of Burns, um, it's a mixture of this man <laughs> transcends all that I could ever hope to be. And yet at the same time, his example inspires me to be better than I am. Mm. And I, I appreciate that posture. It's not that it drives you to shame, you know, or, or worldly sorrow. It drives you to the sort of godly sorrow that leads you to deeper devotion and worship. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, 2 Corinthians 7. Um, I hadn't thought of that. That's, you've, you've expressed that so well, you know. Mm. Uh, there is a shame, but it's, it's a gospel shame. Uh, would that I were better than I am, Lord? Well, be better than you are. Mm. You have the same grace as William Chalmers Burns had. You're united to the same Christ. Um, you're indwelled by the same Spirit. He doesn't have an extraordinary Holy Spirit within him. It's the same Spirit. So, rise to be, by my grace, better than you are. Amen. Well, question about Burns and also Taylor. You know, they were some of the first to adopt the outward uh, elements of Chinese culture. Yeah. They were giving us what now, you know, what things we would call contextualization. And they were shedding some of those Western outward forms. Um, but has that gone maybe too far now? Now we're not just changing clothing or style of speech, um, but actually compromising elements of the gospel, the theme of this conference has been the clear gospel and renewing our commitment to that message. Do you see maybe the pendulum swinging the other direction? Oh, I, I think without a doubt. One of the tragedies of modern evangelicalism. And there are many. And, <laughs> and there are many. At, at the heart of much of the tragedy, I think, is a righteous desire. The righteous desire to minister the gospel relevantly. And we, we don't want to preach the gospel as if we were 19th century Christians or 17th century Puritans or 16th century reformers. We live in the 21st century. But what we forget is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You don't need to make it relevant. You need to preach it relevantly. But the gospel by its very nature, because it's the gospel of God, which is the first statement Paul makes in Romans, actually mm. about the gospel, it's the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. And because it's the gospel of the God who doesn't change, we need to hold fast to the very heart and core of the gospel. And yet at the same time be thinking, well, is there anything about my culture that hinders me from more meaningfully and relevantly communicating that unchanging gospel. And that's a challenge because Satan is always looking to drive the church to extremes, whether it's to the right or to the left. Mm -hmm. And the church has a calling to be rooted and grounded in the unchanging gospel because God doesn't change. And at the same time to realize that scripture trumps culture. And that's why we need always to be critiquing our methods and our ideas by scripture, the sufficiency of scripture, not just its authority, 
but it's sufficiency. And so when people come up with new ideas, new thoughts, by all means, let, 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 let's consider them, but let's critique them in the light of God's holy word, to the law and the testimony. If they speak not according to this light, they have no light of dawn, Isaiah 8. And so it's a challenge for the church in every age to um, be open to new ways. I mean, God hasn't spoken the last word about how best we can communicate the gospel, but everything has got to be tested by Holy Scripture and not by cultural fads, certainly not by um, missiological gurus who forget this, who forget this, that every culture under heaven is a sinful culture, including Western culture, and Scripture stands above that. And it's not a Western idea. In fact, the Bible is Eastern, it's Semitic, it's non-white, and it stands above every culture to critique it. That's why it's so vital that a conference like this, we are heralding the essential truth that because God doesn't change, His truth doesn't change, his gospel doesn't change, but we need to be open to better ways. If there are better ways, mm -hmm. let's not be those who think that the last word was spoken by Burns or Taylor mm -hmm. or Elizabeth Elliot. They would be the first to say, um, let's listen, but let's do so through the lens of Holy Scripture. Mm. Scripture not only as authoritative, but sufficient Absolutely. for life and godliness, sufficient for, for faith and practice. The sufficiency of Scripture is the great, I think, issue of the day. Scripture is our only rule of faith and life, to quote the Shorter Catechism again. Yeah, absolutely. That's a perfect note to, I think, include our time with as well, because we can carry that into all of our individual walks, whether we're missionary goers, senders, uh, elders, pastors in our church, laypersons, uh, whatever part of the Great Commission we're involved in, the, the Scripture equips us for that piece of the task. Amen. It has the resources, absolutely. Well, thank you for being a part of the interview here, and we thank you as well for being a part of the Missions Podcast as we've brought you this exclusive content from the Radius Conference 2023. Please go ahead and check out Radius International. They're doing an incredible job training goers for some of the hardest places for unreached language groups through nine months of immersive cross-cultural living. You can check them out at radiusinternational.org. And remember that the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE and how you can be sent uh, into the world, uh, to the nations, go to abwe.org. Thank you again for all who follow the show, whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're listening in your podcast platform of choice. Email alex at missionspodcast.com with any questions, comments, suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Until our next episode, thank you for joining us.